Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. <clears throat> So last night, Dawn spoke about the hindrances, these five um, challenges that we face, one of them being doubt. And one of the things that uh, one of my first teachers used to say that has stayed with me that I really appreciate, he said, there, there needn't be any doubt about the instructions to not have confusion or doubt about what it is we're doing here. And so what I'd like to do this afternoon is to continue to build on the instructions we've been offering in the morning, um, try to bring some more um, clarity or structure to how we're inviting you to practice so what's the difference between shamatha and vipassana and how, how are we using our attention? But then I'll speak a little bit about this other thing Don mentioned this morning of the attitude that we're practicing with, kind of how we're approaching or holding the tool of meditation. And we'll do a little guided practice with both of those. We'll do some vipassana practice and then we'll move into bringing in a flavor of compassion. So it'll be a little bit of a mashup. <laughs> okay, try to touch on a few different things. <clears throat> One of the distinguishing aspects of vipassana meditation is we're noticing the specific characteristics of experience. What does that mean? So this morning, Dawn talked about being aware of body sensations, and she was pointing to naming some of the different characteristics of how we experience the body, heavy or light, hot or cold, moving, tingling, pulsing. This is the actual, like, experience, the substance of it, the texture of it. This is an aspect of mindfulness. Mindfulness is this awareness and non-reactivity. The awareness is a non-conceptual awareness. We're trying to learn how to connect, feel, taste life as it is, rather than through the filters of our concepts. So rather than, now I'm walking, now I'm moving, what's the experience of that? Is it light, is it heavy, is it swaying? Is it smooth, is it rough, is it cool, is it warm? This is the experience that's coming into the direct experience. So with shamatha practice, we're staying a little bit more on the level of the concept. We're just coming to one thing and coming back again and again and again and again. With Vipassana practice, we're noticing what is this? How does it feel? So I give a few examples. I'll start with the um, 
an analogy and then talk about the practice. So an analogy. Let's say you're holding a ball in your hand. Could be a tennis ball, it could be a lacrosse ball. If you haven't held a lacrosse ball, it's about the same size as a tennis ball, but it's solid, it's heavier, it's smooth, it doesn't bounce, okay? It's dense. So you're holding a ball. Shamatha practice is holding a ball, 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 holding this ball. Hold the ball, keep holding the ball. That's it, that's it. It doesn't matter anything else, what the ball is, how it looks, nothing. Just hold the ball, okay? Vipassana practice is, oh, ball? Round, squishy, fuzzy, hard, heavy, dense, light, bouncy. There is no ball. This is just, what is this? Okay, that's the difference. So if you're using your breath and you're doing shamatha practice, in, out, in, out, rising, falling, rising, falling, breathing, breathing. If you're doing vipassana practice and you're using the breath, tingling, swelling, lifting, tight, still, soft, smooth, relaxing, Settling, slowing, stopping, quiet, tension, expansion, lifting. The breath disappears. There is no breath. That's a concept. The anchor itself disappears eventually. It's just this changing sensations, but you're noticing what are these sensations, what's actually happening. It's making sense? Why are we doing this? So you notice the specific characteristics of the experience, the texture of it, the sensation, sound, the tone, the the volume, uh, the rhythm. Keep noticing the specific characteristics of any experience, all experience, moment by moment by moment. You're giving the heart and the mind more and more and more data. This, 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 this. Eventually, as you're paying attention to the specificity of experience, something starts to shift in the perspective. The, the mind begins to notice what we call the universal characteristics that are common to all of these specific experiences. Oh, it's changing. It's changing. It's changing. You're not looking for change. Just be aware. Just keep noticing what's happening and connect with mindfulness directly, intimately. What is this? What is this? What is this? Eventually, it starts to shift on its own because the mind is stable, steady, clear enough, and it, have enough, it has enough data. It gets it. It gets the pattern. It starts to see change happening. Directly. So this is the difference between shamatha and vipassana. So when we do vipassana practice, there are different ways to train the mind to notice the specific um, texture of experience and to begin to include more and more of our experience. I want to talk about a couple of ways of doing that so you can 
um, train yourself in the time that we're here and understand the context of the instructions we're giving. So one way of doing it, as we've already said, you work with the anchor and you just change how you're paying attention to the anchor. You start to notice what is an in-breath, that's a thought, that's a concept. How do I know I'm breathing in? What does that actually feel like? How do I know I'm breathing out? What does it actually feel like? It's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is to start to isolate different channels of, sen- of sensory experience. So someone referenced this earlier in the retreat. If you look carefully, you see there's only ever one of six things happening in our experience. There's sensation, there's sound, there's smell, there's taste, there's hearing, and then there's the mind, thoughts and emotions, intentions. It's called the six sense doors or the six sense fields in Buddhist experience. That's it. Try to find something outside of it. Let me know if you do. The only thing that's outside of that is Nibbana, which is not an experience. It's unconditioned. It's not conditioned. So one way of practicing is to just choose a channel. And that's what Dawn did this morning. It's like, okay, let's just pay attention to the body. There are sounds, there are thoughts, there are images. There might be smell or taste. Just focus on the body and notice what's happening. Notice what's happening in the body. You do a body scan. You can notice different sensations as they come and go. You do the same thing with sound. Just tune into sound. Keep hearing. Notice the volume, the pitch, the tone. Non-conceptual, not what I'm hearing, but how is this? Like listening to music, really receiving the vibration. You're eating, you're doing that with the taste and the sensation. You're just focusing on that, noticing it, how it changes. So this is one way of expanding your repertoire, learning to stay present and mindful and connected with more and more of our experience. Another way of doing it is to use the anchor as a home base, but also start to include other experiences. This is a very common way of practicing Vipassana in this tradition. And the instruction here is you you start with the anchor and you stay with that for as long as it's supportive. And then when something else naturally takes the attention, sound, thought, a sensation, an emotion, that becomes the object of your meditation. It's called the predominant experience. You don't have to go find it. You don't have to choose it. It it happens by itself. All of a sudden, your shoulder hurts. Oh, God. Okay, wait, yeah. Okay, that's happening now. That's your meditation object. So it's not my shoulder hurting. That's a thought. What's actually happening? It's aching, sharp, twisting, unpleasant, unpleasant, burning, throbbing, getting more intense, getting less intense. You're not necessarily narrating that. You can use light mental notes if it's helpful, but it's noticing, knowing, feeling the experience. Stay with that as long as it's predominant. One of two things is going to happen. It's either going to change or fade such that it's no longer in the foreground of your awareness and you come back to your anchor. Or at some point, something else becomes more predominant. So you're with this pain in your shoulder, and then all of a sudden you're thinking about, i got to go see the orthopedist. I better make an appointment. wonder if I can get my phone back. Now thinking is happening. That's what's predominant. 
become aware of that. God, why am I thinking again? I'm wasting my whole retreat. Now judging is happening. Now there's this tight sensation in my chest. Be aware of that. Everything can be included. Whatever is in the foreground of your awareness, when nothing is predominant, come back to your anchor. If you start getting frustrated, confused, overwhelmed, just come back to your anchor. Okay, so it's just like whatever is right here in the front of awareness, that becomes your meditation object, not the concept, the actual experience. There's a lot you can notice about experience, including the, the, the um, vibratory, sensational experience, um, as well as is it pleasant, is it unpleasant, is it in the middle, is it kind of neutral? So with mindfulness, we're connecting with the experience on a non-conceptual level as it is with as much balance as possible. I've shared in some of the groups this thing one of my teachers used to say, no pluses, no minuses. Not trying to evaluate every experience. This one's good, this one's bad. Now I'm doing really well. Now I'm failing. Now I'm doing better again. Now I'm failing. No pluses, no minuses. Just meeting things as they are. So I've talked about being with the anchor, using vipassana with the anchor, noticing its specific qualities, how it's changing. Talked about being with what's predominant, coming back to the anchor as often as you need or as often as naturally happens. There's also letting go of the anchor and just being with whatever's occurring in the moment. Sometimes we call this open awareness or choiceless awareness because we're not choosing any particular objects just whatever the mind is knowing in the moment. This, tends to, this takes more continuity and stability of mindfulness and concentration. An analogy you can use is it's like the window of awareness, if you think about it that way, gets steady and clear enough that it's just here and it's like what's being known, all different things coming and going within that. You're not continually having to remember to look out the window and find the window and clean the window and lift up the shade and where's the window? It's just like aware. Stable enough that you can just be aware of whatever's occurring. Sometimes the anchor's there, sometimes it's not. You're not choosing what's predominant, just letting things come and go. That can happen naturally on its own. Perhaps you've already experienced that. The mind just shifts into just noticing different things coming, going. Or you can practice in that way. You can explore that. Okay, does this make sense? Great. Now, with, with all of these techniques, okay, these are tools, these are techniques, these are ways of training our uh, attention to be present and relate to experience in a certain way. How you're holding the tool is really important. Right. You can use um, a tool to do a lot of good, or you can use the exact same tool to do a lot of harm. So how you're holding this stuff is really important. This is known as right attitude, right intention in the Noble Eightfold Path. The Buddha identified three very core central intentions, attitudes to practice. Kindness. Compassion. Be nice to yourself. <laughs> Take it easy on yourself. Renunciation. 
We're not here to get something. Practice about letting go and discovering what's left. So notice that, bear that in mind. Notice when you're practicing with a gaining idea, Suzuki Roshi said, to try to get something, to try to get somewhere, to try to become someone. Notice if you're beating yourself up, pushing yourself. It's not wise intention. Kindness, compassion, being gentle. So some of this is just the, the idea here is, is, is trying to just infuse the practice with this loving, compassionate intention and this understanding is just curiosity. Like David was saying earlier today, it's a kind of play. We're just exploring, learning, trying to get somewhere. What is it to be alive, to have a mind and body, to feel lonely, to feel bored, to feel agitated? What can I learn from this? Sometimes it's hard to recall this way of being with ourselves. So we have metta practice to strengthen metta. We have karuna, compassion practice to strengthen compassion. So in the meditation we'll do together, um, we'll start. um, How will we start? Mm, Maybe we'll start with some compassion. Just bringing in this energy um, of tenderness towards ourself. And I'll offer a few ways to, to touch into that quality. Just to try to um, create a little bit of a more warm and inviting inner atmosphere. And then from there we'll move into the Vipassana practice. We're just trying to keep some of that um, sensibility of being kind and... and um, understanding with oneself. So compassion is tenderness for suffering. It's the capacity to embrace and be with pain rather than recoil, try to fix it, make it someone's fault, and so forth. It's a very strong, stable energy, the capacity to be with pain, and then when it's appropriate, to actually respond. So some of you I know working with chronic pain, so it's a certain sometimes with intense pain, it's like, the compassionate thing to do is to move, to get up and lie down. That's compassion. It's a response. It's not just, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. It's like, okay, this hurts. Let's move. <laughs> right? So compassion is the, you know, saying to your friend, what do you need? I'm here. It's the caring, but it's also the response. So we'll be focusing a little bit more on just the energy of compassion, that holding embrace, but recognize that it also can respond and, and there might be a response that's needed in some, some ways. You know, maybe it's having a cup of tea instead of pushing yourself to go do more walking. You know, it's like, whoa, it's a retreat, relax. A wise, caring response. I'll read a poem at some point when we sit. It's warning you. (laughs) I, I didn't write it, but it's good. Okay, so settle into your posture. We've already killed about 20 minutes, so it'll be a short sit.
Just inviting a little bit of ease, some softening, some relaxation. Again, deep breath, feeling the earth. Just bowing inside to however it is for you right now. It's okay. It's like this. And just see what happens when you say that word silently, compassion. Or if you like, you can use a synonym, tenderness, care. Maybe an image comes to mind. Comforting a scared, upset child or image of a a real close friend or a relative, teacher or religious or spiritual figure, someone or something that embodies compassion for you. Whether it's a specific moment, person, or memory, or just some other representation inside, the compassion, the sun shining down, compassion of the rain, Sometimes I like to think about compassion as a a soft knit blanket draped around me. working with an image, does it does it have a color? Compassion or or a light, would it have a color? If it's some other image or memory, just really seeing that clearly in your mind's eye, sensing it, holding a cup of hot cocoa sitting with an old friend, loving smile of a grandparent, auntie or uncle, conjuring it, inviting it, and then see if you can begin to let it in. like soaking in a steam bath and allowing your pores to open. Feeling held, embraced, cared for.
perhaps even imagining the whole room slowly fill compassion, all of our hearts connecting, radiating, all of these different sources of compassion our lives in the world, just beginning to infuse the space between and among us. I invite you to let yourself feel held in the strong, loving embrace of compassion. strong and knowing care for the hurt, for the hardship. Called How to Open Your Heart by Jeff Foster. Do not try to open your heart now. That would be a subtle movement of aggression towards your immediate embodied experience. Never tell a closed heart. It must be more open. It will shut more tightly to protect itself, feeling your resistance. A heart unfurls only when conditions are right. Your demand for openness invites closure. This is the supreme intelligence of the heart. Instead, bow to the heart in its current state. If it's closed, let it be closed. Sanctify the closure. Make it safe. Safe even to feel unsafe. Trust that when the heart is ready, and not a moment before, it will open, like a flower in the warmth of the sun. There's no rush for the heart. Trust the opening and the closing too, the expansion and the contraction. This is the heart's way of breathing, safe, unsafe, safe, unsafe. The beautiful fragility of being human and all held in the most perfect love. So if it's supportive, you can continue to just rest with this quality of compassion, just receiving it, sensing it, letting it in. 
Or if you like, you can pick that thread up and begin to notice your anchor. Aware of what's occurring, the kind and gentle attention. Becoming intimate with the anchor, just as it is. What is this right here? This breath, this sound, this body. Keep noticing, feeling, sensing the anchor. Each moment new. Receiving the actual felt experience, specificity. Leaning into this attitude of kindness, compassion, simplicity of letting go, just curious, open, playful learning rather than trying to get something, get somewhere.
You can continue exploring the anchor for as long as you like. At any point, something else comes into the foreground of your awareness, sound, another sensation, an emotion, a thought. Thoughts are words in the mind, images, pictures in the mind. You let go of the anchor, you've already let go of it, something else is already happening. Just become aware, stay aware of that, as long as it's predominant. Notice it, notice what happens to it. Does it get more intense, less intense? Does it change? When it's no longer predominant, you can come back to the anchor. Or if something else takes its place, then you just stay aware of that. Getting to know it. Feel it, sense it. Notice it, notice what happens to it. We'll continue practicing in this way, resting with the anchor as needed, staying with what's predominant. Or if you've chosen to, just continuing to rest and abide with compassion, receiving it, letting it in.
aware of each moment just as it is. No pluses, no minuses. Something arises that feels too difficult, painful, or hard to be with. Just shift your attention to something that's easier. Anchor, sounds, open your eyes. Reestablish a sense of balance and perspective inside before re-engaging.
I feel so happy that each of you is here. Happy for you. I feel very moved by your practice. It's not easy. So we're um, we're really in what we what we call the heart of the retreat. You know, you've worked really hard the last few days to get here, both literally to get to the retreat center, but also to like just keep arriving and slowing down and settling in. You've done a lot of work, and often it can feel like nothing's happening. Nothing's happened. Um, Something's happening. <laughs> can trust it. So, um, I I offer my encouragement to um, be deliberate. Be deliberate and careful uh, with your energy and your attention. So, one of the ways this practice um, works is by developing momentum. It's like trying to boil a pot of water, right? If you keep taking the kettle off, you're not going to boil the water. So uh, we come with the sitting, walking. These, these are these kind of formal periods of building momentum of mindfulness and concentration. The in-between periods are really important because you want to try to carry some of that momentum forward. It's like like imagine you're carrying a really full glass of water and you don't want to spill any. And if you just kind of go all around, you know, you, a lot of water is going to come out. So you, you leave the hall, you know, if you're kind of thrashing through the coat room and looking around and um, all of the mindfulness, not all, but some of the mindfulness and concentration you've developed is kind of leaking away. So this is why we discourage eye contact, writing, reading. It's to keep the energy here. So I was saying to someone in one of the groups yesterday, it's like there's very little you actually need to do or attend to. Like you can get from here down to the dining hall pretty easy probably. You know, navigate the ground, make sure you don't slip. Get your, but, you know, just stay close. Take your time. There's no rush. And just kind of let the movements of what the body's needing to do unfold. Doesn't take a lot of effort to stay aware and mindful. You don't need to, like, like be tight about it. There's a way you can be aware that's quite easeful. Just right now, are you aware? Great. Not a lot of energy to do that. The mind can drift very easily. So there's this kind of like, just keep coming back. Just stay aware. This is why the body is so important. Because the body is always present. So just resting your attention with the body is a way of keeping enough continuity of mindfulness that you're just staying with the process, staying close. And remember this right attitude, kindness, compassion, non-gaining idea, letting go.